didn't see it coming, the podcast about brands that learn from the past, are looking to the future, and are profiting because of it today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. One of the things that I find stands in the way of great ideas and true partnership in, in the creative fields, that is advertising, design, or even architecture, is the sense that uh, creative professionals are forced into the role of suppliers. And I, I wrote about this in my book, Didn't See It Coming, the whole idea that, that advertising as it is is becoming less and less relevant because ad agencies are more and more being seen as, uh, well, for lack of a better comparison, uh, business card suppliers. How much? How many business cards can you give me for how low a price and how quickly can you turn it around? And if you can't do it, then I'm going to give it to your friend. Completely devalues uh, the ideas and the creativity and the innovation that an agency can bring to the table. Now, with that in mind, I, I, I heard a fantastic TEDx talk by a gentleman named Cal Harrison, who runs a company called Beyond Referrals. Now, Cal uh, has, has an advocacy group, and he is championing this cause called QBS, which is Qualifications-Based Selection. I know it sounds complicated, but what it does, it strikes at the heart of a very, very big problem, which is uh, an agency having to bid based on how low its price is and getting work based on how low its price is going to be, which eliminates any concept of true partnership with a client. Now, I, I watched Cal's TEDx talk, and uh, I've got a link to it on the blog post that you're going to be reading. Um, but Everybody should take a look at this because it's a breath of fresh air and it carries us from everything from how we do advertising to how we build bridges and apartment buildings. I was very lucky to get Cal Harrison uh, on this podcast. Cal, welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. Excellent that you could make it, man. Uh, I want to talk to you about this because this is a very big idea, and I think this could go a long way in solving the problem that we're seeing a lot in advertising, which is agency irrelevance because we're being treated as basically people who tick off task boxes as opposed to real partners. Can you explain what qualification-based selection is? Sure. So qualifications-based selection, which is QBS for short, mm -hmm. is a procurement, uh, I call it an ideology, because there's a few different methodologies you can use that would be compliant with this idea of hiring based on qualifications instead of low price. Imagine, it's as simple as this, imagine your typical RFP, but you take price out of it. So price is weighted at 0%. So what you're left with is a mechanism to evaluate which firm is the, going to be the most capable and the most qualified, the most likely to have success on a project. Now, this, this comes out of engineering and architecture, primarily out of the U.S. Um, some of you who may have driven the roads in the United States might have wondered, at, wow, these are really great. Why don't we have these in Canada? And at least part of the reason is because in 1972, there was a piece of federal legislation put in place that said when you're hiring architects or infrastructure, sorry, architects or engineers, for federally funded infrastructure, you cannot use low price as part of the evaluation criteria of who to hire. So what you have to do is say, who's the most qualified architect or engineer to do this work? And once we've identified who the most qualified is, then we'll negotiate price and scope with them. Now, 
This is not a passing fad because since 1972, 46 states have adopted similar legislation. They call them mini Brooks Acts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it might even be up to 48 states at this point. And, uh, but it primarily, I'm sorry, it only applies to architects and engineering, but it's a great methodology uh, to apply to advertising, to management consulting, to law, to market research, to graphic design, anything that's especially got sort of a messy front end and a strategy element to it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's funny because, uh, oh, first off, the Brooks Act, just to clarify for listeners, the Brooks Act was actually federal legislation brought into the U.S. to, to say, hey, you cannot use price as a qualification tool. You cannot use price as a selection tool. That's correct. Right, right. Uh, so uh, to me, uh, we, all hear, we all heard these mythical stories uh, about ad agencies in the 1940s and 1950s in the heyday of advertising. When the ad creatives would be called in, they're the communicators, sure, but they were actually called in to clients to actually help design the product. And you know that wasn't based on an RFP because, uh, you know, the product might be bubblegum or the product might be a jawbreaker. You know, it could be a couple of different things and the ad agencies actually were valued for the input right at the early stage. Now, I I look at advertising today, and they're trying to come up with clever approaches to advertise products that are basically commodities, and people are seeing less and less relevance in advertising, more and more relevance in, I guess, uh, you know, reviews and and information and social media. Advertising is being bled dry. Um, And and to me, this uh, QBS seems like a, a real solid step in the right direction. Now, tell me, what would it look like if, if uh, I was, I was a, a government agency and I said, you know what, heck with it, I'm not going to use uh, an, a standard RFP process, I'm going to try out this QBS process, and I had a, a raft of agencies for my new communications program. What would the selection process look like then? So the, the easiest way to make the transition from a price-based RFP to a QBS procurement is I, I tell procurement people, Imagine your your existing RFP, but let's take price out of it. Then let's go look at how you evaluate qualifications. So let's look at what I call scoring rubrics. So mm-hmm. a, a typical RFP might say uh, quality of the quality of the team is thirty percent of the value here. So the question I ask the procurement people is, how what do I have to show you to get thirty out of thirty, and what would get me five out of thirty? Right. Mm-hmm. So they need a very structured evaluation scoring rubric so that they can tell the vendors, here's, how, here's what the winner is going to look like. The winner is going to look like a, an agency that can come in and give us three case studies for a project that required similar functional category and geographic expertise. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is, you know, the, your team members have to be part of those case studies. So it's not a real wild step away from the RFP. It's simply taking money out of it mm-hmm. using a more robust uh, scoring process to evaluate expertise, which needs to be narrow and focused and relevant to what the, the next the, this campaign that you're hiring for is, then what you do is uh, you end up with a short list of three. You probably go through an interview process like you often do in an RFP process. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of the interview process is not to create a new presentation or to have different questions. It's basically for the selection committee to say, to review the original proposal and get clarification. Oh, based on our conversation, should your score go up or down in this category? That results in one company bubbling to the top. At that point, that company and that company alone is invited to sit down and negotiate a contract with the vendor. So they can have 
you know, the, the budget is typically disclosed at the time the RFP is issued. So the mm-hmm. buyers will say, hey, we expect to spend about a million dollars on this. Mm-hmm. So now when you're at the contracting stage, the buyers and the vendors, the ad agency, will sit down and say, look, what can we get if, you know, we spent $1.1 million, or maybe we only want to spend nine hundred grand. and what if we did this at the same time as another project? And so you can have those open conversations, and at the end of that, you go, okay, here's how we're going to move forward, and you don't have to worry about change orders and oh, add-ons and extras later on because you've had a chance to discuss that, right, and, mm-hmm. and, and as opposed to the throw-it-over-the-fence process of the RFP. Now, buyers get a little nervous about that because they think, geez, you know, We've identified these people, and now we're just telling them they've got free reign on the budget. But that's not the case because the buyer, the vendors, still have their feet to the fire. Because if a final contract cannot be negotiated, then the the buyers have the freedom to terminate discussions and go to the second most qualified. Now, the the best analogy here is every company in the world is already using QBS. It's just that they're using it in the HR department instead of the procurement department, because this is how we hire staff, right? Of course. Of course. It's like, can you do this job? Yes. Are you very qualified? Yes. Here's how much money we have to spend. Will you come work for this much? You go, yes. That's and a you think about it, if you're hiring somebody for a hundred grand a year and you expect that they're going to stick around for a few years, like maybe 10, well, you're making a million dollar procurement when you're hiring someone and you've never asked them for low bid. So why are we asking, you know, the vendors, which are effectively in many cases, temporary or augmented staffing roles, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're like a bolt on resource to the company. Why do we, why do we need to focus so much on price? It's because price is an easy and objective thing to point to, especially if you're in a political or politicized environment. So now it's funny that you, you bring up that super easy metaphor, you know, the, uh, that it's exactly like, uh, you know, when we hire people, imagine how different it would be if we said, okay, we want this person and everybody kind of knows that it's a hundred thousand dollar job employment offer, but it's going to the lowest bidder. Are thirty percent of the 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 uh, the, uh, the check marks are going to go for whoever brings us the lowest bid? So then you have people bidding for sixty thousand dollars. They get into the job, they secure the job, and what's the first thing that happens? They set up a sort of a a relationship that's antagonistic. You know, like oh, I'm getting screwed, and I'm not getting paid enough, and so I'm only going to give them sixty percent of my brain, and you know, then then it creates this vicious cycle where people are going, well, you know, this industry isn't very good because the people only give sixty percent of their brain, and so right away you've poisoned the relationship, and that's what happens with ad agencies. You know, they that they go, well, we can only do so much for this price, or we're feeling hard put upon, or and and you you create a you create the anti-creative. Uh, sort of perspective as opposed to, hey, a partnership of innovation and creation. Blair Enns has this great phrase. He says, the selling process is a way of evaluating or training a client and how you should work together. Mm-hmm. So if you can, if during the selling process, it's a collaborative and innovative give and take relationship to create something that's going to work really well for both parties. And that tells you what it's going to be like to work with them. But if if the selling process is a series of small conflicts, otherwise known as the RFP, where you're throwing things over blind and, and basing it all on low cost, well, you can expect that's what the relationship's going to look like yeah. moving forward. 
Yeah, and I remember I remember working in ad agencies too. Uh, uh, the the one of the great sayings that came from uh, Jay Chiat. He said, "The the day you win an account, you're one day closer to losing it." And you're going, "That's a depressing concept, isn't it?" But it's true. Uh, average tenure of our clients was, I think, eighteen months to two years. You know, and you think that's a that's not a very good that's not a very good thing. It's it's not like we were working on projects. We were working on what was supposed to be a forever kind of relationship, but they all ended after two years. You know, right. because we just got so pissed off at each other that we just said, "No, we'll never do great work for you." You're not making it possible to do great work, but you're right. It comes right back down to what Blair said: uh, the way you start is the way you're going to continue. Just because we're taking price out of the equation doesn't mean that price is a factor. We have, but instead, we have a client saying, "We have a hundred thousand dollar job." Who has the qualifications for it? You just don't ask people to downbid from $100,000 to $60,000, right? That's correct. Yeah. Now, uh, this brings another thing to mind. Um, you know, the, the best way to harness creativity uh, and get people killing for you is to say, uh, I want this outcome, as opposed to I have a list of things that I need to do. Now, the list is typically what you see in an RFP. We need somebody to do this, 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 this. It has nothing to say about uh, the outcome that we're going to create. Uh, how do you bring something as fuzzy as an outcome into, uh, into, a, qualifi- into like a, a discussion about, are we going to work with you? So we, we already know that we can hire people based on these intangibles like expertise, et cetera, because we already do that mm-hmm. when we're hiring staff. So we look at outcomes. Like what, what might be an outcome with uh, an ad? Give me an example of an outcome uh, of an ad. An ad, ad, ad agency, the, the outcome would be, um, uh, we, you know, we are, we're launching this new type of chewing gum. We want to knock it up to number one position. That, it could be as simple as that. We want to knock it up to number one. We want to take Hubba Bubba and Wrigley's out. Right. And so our, budget is, our budget is $100,000. Right. So when you, when you talk to that client and that client, you suggest to the client, we can go two ways here. We could hire someone on price. Very likely they've never done this before. Or we could go look for somebody who's knocked bubblegum or some similar product to number one with a $100,000 budget three or four times in their, in their past, right? Mm-hmm. So let's go out there and let's select the company that's going to have the most likely chance of success moving forward. And the best way to determine that is who's done this before and already had success and already has a methodology that they use so that they can replicate whatever they did for someone else moving forward. Now, in that equation, there's no price required. That's about objectively assessing through a fair, open, and transparent framework the the, the quality of, of similar work they've done in the past. That's right. That's your biggest advantage is when you move to QBS is you really focus hard on the work they've done in the past and the skills that individuals on that team bring and and giving them a chance to demonstrate uh, how successful they've been in the past without forcing them to come up with a new process that's cheaper than the others. Because think about it, the the experts are going to be the most expensive. Yeah. Right. The, the generalists, the people of lesser or fewer skills, they're always going to be cheaper. So what, you know, an RFP is let's buy the least viable product at the lowest price possible. QBS says let's buy the best product we can afford to buy, or in this case, the best service, the best team we can afford to buy. 
You know, it's it's funny because when I hear you talk, I just go, "This could be, uh, this could be sort of a linchpin in creating what is again a, a relevant and flourishing industry in advertising." I don't know if it'll solve it because I still think the 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 world has moved from you know some somebody telling your story, which is advertising, to you telling your own story, which you know social media and and uh, reviews and and digital have enabled us to do. But I just think you know there's so many smart people in advertising and design design and bringing them to the table as innovators saying, you know, yeah, we're hiring you on an outcome, not based on a list of things you're going to do. Uh, so what are your ideas? That would just, that would just, it would be a bit of a renaissance. I think it'd be a really good thing. Um, you've seen this obviously happen in, in other sectors. Can you describe that a little bit? Sure. It's, um, it's really popular in engineering and architecture, of course, but primarily in the U S we are seeing some jurisdictions start adopting it, uh, wholeheartedly city of calgary actually has used qbs for architecture and engineering services for a while we've seen metrolinks which is i believe formerly the city of toronto transit authority just do a big construction procurement using qbs and and um what we're seeing is a general interest from all the professions the professional services groups across canada it's amazing when you start looking at them individually how many of them are advocating on their own for this type of thing. Uh, when I started QBSCanada.ca, that was a designed to try and uh, bring all these little conversations and turn them into one big voice. So that's what I'm hoping to achieve is get that voice some airtime over the next couple of years. But in terms of, um, I don't think I've actually answered your question. Where have I seen this work elsewhere? Yeah, have you seen? I mean, you've seen, you've seen, uh, you know, you talked about infrastructure in the U.S. Where you, you know Canadians, we look at it, uh, at the American road system and go, "Wow, why can't we have some of that?" Yeah. You well, know? so let me give, let me give an example because this has been around for forty two years in the United States. There's been a chance to study it and get some real data. So there's a great uh, piece of research done by the American Public Works Association. So those are the buyers, mm-hmm. and then the vendors, uh, the engineering vendors, the Association of Consulting Engineering Companies in the United States. Uh, they got together, they hired a couple of PhDs to study the difference between RFPs and QBS in, uh, in the construction sector. And they found some really interesting things, like, for example, um, scope and price creep on a construction project awarded using a low-bid RFP is, on average, 10%. The mm-hmm. same project awarded using, or same type of project awarded using QBS is 3%. So on a $100 million project, 7% is quite a lot of money, right? Yeah, as, that's crazy. As well, there are significant differences in the uh, the scheduling creep. It, the schedules get extend really significantly on a low bit RFP, but they s- extend far less so when they're awarded using QBS. So, and part of that is probably that when when you use a QBS procurement, you're actually everybody can put their cards on the table. There's no incentive to hide costs and try and issue change orders later. So, prices might be a little higher initially with QBS at the time of procurement. But they're actually lower by the time you finish the project. You're just being honest up front is really what it comes down to, it, right? I mean, as we were talking about earlier, Mark, we've everybody's got a couple of construction projects in their city where they're awarded at 130 million, and but by the time they're done, they're 220 million. And my argument is that that those things are screwed from the start because of the procurement process if they've used a low bid procurement process. I, I, I love the sound of this thing. Calvin, uh, Cal, uh, I want to get a hold of you. I want to know more about this. Where's the best place to go? 
So you can uh, visit my website at beyondreferrals.com. You can email me at cal at beyondreferrals.com. All the QBS stuff I've done is aggregated at uh, www.qbscanada.ca. Um, but on my Beyond Referrals site, there's three videos. If you click on the speaking link, there's videos including the TEDx talk that you saw that mm-hmm. uh, you know are easy to share. Um, it's uh, what I encourage people to do is whatever sector you're in, whether it's architecture, law, consulting, whatever, talk to your professional association and tell them, ask them, what are we doing about procurement, right? Because mm-hmm. this is where the voices of professional associations can be really powerful when we start talking to uh, politicians and procurement groups about better ways to save money and get better projects. I, my guess is we're wasting about $5 billion a year uh, writing proposals using the flawed RFP process. Do we have time for a quick story to illustrate that waste? Let's finish it off with a great story. Sure. So a uh, client, an architecture firm, came up to me and said, Cal, i got to share the story with you. And it was about a $50,000 project uh, that was – and there was an RFP issued by a um, – a crown corporation in Canada. So $50,000 worth of architecture fees. And, um, you know, we know that that's what the fees are going to be because quite often architecture engineering is a percentage of construction costs, right? So it's a half million dollar project. The fees are going to be about 10% on this project. So everyone knows the winner is going to get it for somewhere around 50 grand, whether it's 48 or 52 or whatever, but they still put on an RFP and they still want everyone to bid low. Like, uh, you know, price is still 30% of the evaluation criteria. Right. Because it's a really extensive RFP, in order to be compliant, you had to put a lot of time into writing the proposal. My client tracks their time. It cost them 20, uh, sorry, cost them 20,000 bucks to write a proposal to try and win $50,000 worth of fees. Right. Yeah. So, and, and you know, their the, the real hard costs are probably about a third of that, seven or eight grand. But if someone asked them to, to write this proposal for them, they would have charged them 20 grand. So the retail value of the proposal is 20 grand. Now, 38 architecture firms submitted proposals. So that means that 38 firms would have had to invest about 20 grand to write a proposal. <laughs> so you got the, the response cost from the industry is $760,000. So one of them could be awarded a $50,000 project. So that's that's one and a half times more than the entire construction project cost, which was 500 grand. And it's, you know, when I mention this to buyers, they some of them look at me and go, well, Cal, that's just the cost of, you know, you Doing being in the architecture business. Yeah. And what I remind them is that's overhead for an architecture firm. So it's built into their hourly rate. So it's you, the client, that pays for that every single time. Like you're not getting an invoice for that proposal, but it's built into the hourly rate. So the greatest incentive, uh, sorry, the group that has the greatest incentive to reduce that waste is the buyers, not the vendors. And when they start thinking like that, they start going, hmm, that's interesting. And they start to be maybe rethink their claims that they're bringing value to the process. But if they're not bringing value, if they're driving unnecessary cost into an industry, right? So, that is, that's, that's an awesome story to end on. And it does address exactly that because it always seems like the vendors who are griping about the RFP process, but it should be the buyers who are griping about it because they're just basically being forced to pay overhead, which is the result of the stupidity of the process. Yeah. And I got to tell you, Mark, you're in Victoria, right? Yeah. I was first twigged onto that concept of the cost of responding being greater than the cost or the value of the project 
when I was speaking to the Canadian Association of Management Consultants in Victoria, and at one point I was talking about RFPs, and someone said, I bet you the cost of writing proposals is more than what the winner is going to win in fees. And I thought, hey, there's something to that. And I've actually done some research on that in, um, in one of my videos at the Beyond Referral site. I talk a little bit about how frequently that happens. And That's it's amazing great. how often it does. Cal, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's, it's such a breath of fresh air, and it's an enlightening moment. And it seems like one of the things that will never change. But obviously, if we could change that, we'd be changing a big thing. Yeah, that would be great. Wonderful. Thanks so much for coming aboard. Thanks, Mark. Have a great day. Talk to you. You've been listening to Didn't See It Coming, the podcast about brands that learn from the past, are looking to the future, and are profiting because of it today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. If you want to get a hold of me, drop me an email at mark, M-A-R-C, at markstoiber.com, M-A-R-C-S-T-O-I-B-E-R.com. Have a good one.